We've been looking at the armor of God, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue this series, because we've been looking at what Paul has said to this church at Ephesus as he is speaking to us as well today about He's saying you need to put on that belt of truth. We've been talking about that. And then also the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And and today we are going to touch on the final piece of the armor of God that Paul tells us when you successfully put on and you take up and you function with all six pieces of the armor, you will have what you need to experience the victory that Christ has promised us in our lives. And the final piece in verse 17 says, take the sword of the Spirit. Can you say take? Take. Take. You have to take it. You have to take the sword of the Spirit. This final piece um, is different from all the others. It's unique because it's the only offensive weapon in the arsenal. Everything else is designed to hold us together when we come up against the enemy in the evil day. That's what he says in this passage. It's in the evil day that you will need this. We, just like them in Ephesians, are in the evil day, all right? And we need to know that. But after God outfits you for battle, in order to stand firm, he gives you this weapon to attack and advance. Roman soldiers had two very different types of swords for battle. The first sword was called a spatha. The spatha was generally three feet long. A shorter sword was called the gladius. It was typically about 18 inches, about what you see here on the stage uh, in front of me there, uh, about maybe a foot and a half long. And so when Paul instructs us to take the sword of the Spirit, this is what he's talking about, refers to the shorter sword, the gladius. So, So the first image I want you to remove from your mind when you consider the sword of the Spirit is that of Zorro. You remember Zorro? It's not that sword that we're talking about, or pirates that you see, you know, the long sword that they used. That is not what the Apostle Paul is speaking about in this. The gladius was similar to a dagger and was used for up-close, in-your-face, hand-to-hand combat, most often a solitary opponent that you came against. So the Roman soldier could use the gladius to deliver an unexpected yet deadly blow to their enemy because the enemy would not see it coming. In the case of like a targeted assassin or, or combat, gladius blades, they were, they were double-edged. They were uh, needle-sharp at the point so that they could inflict greater amount of damage at a quicker rate. And oftentimes, a longer sword, as you see, as we see from movies or Zorro, they created a wound that enabled the opponent to continue fighting. But the gladius delivered a death blow when you needed it. It's like a two-inch deep gouge from a dagger often proved fatal quicker rather than a longer sword. So when Paul instructs us to take up the sword of the Spirit, he's letting us know this battle, in this battle, we will have times when the enemy is so close that he seems like he's right in our face. 
He will seem like he is right there. In fact, it can kind of be compared to an opponent trying to block a shot in basketball. In the game, the opposing player will stick his body, his face, his hand against you in your face or against your opposing shot to help keep you disoriented and unable uh, and able to keep you from advancing. How many of you know that Satan wants to keep you from advancing? Did you know that? The enemy wants to keep you from advancing today at this moment and every single day that you are alive. He doesn't want you to go forward and advance the kingdom of God and the call of God in your life. So he brings this into battle, but here's what he uses to discourage us discourage every one of us. He brings his battle, which is your particular stronghold, as close to you as possible. Every person in this room has some type of stronghold in your life, something that we've all dealt with, whatever it may be. And oftentimes it's there that he brings up to wage war within you, in your mind, in your will, and emotions, in your body. And you've heard that throughout this series, how the enemy comes against us in these ways. Another thing Paul tells us is that this is the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of who? The Spirit. It's not your sword. It's not my sword. It's not the church's sword. It's not the sword of good works. It's not the preacher's sword. This is the sword of the Spirit. In fact, it's the only weapon we're told that the Spirit uses in the spiritual realm because it's the Spirit who uses the sword in the heavenly places to deliver a death blow to our enemy. That's a very important thing to remember that we cannot deliver that death blow by ourselves. And if you try, you'll soon discover that you cannot do it and I cannot do it in our own power. Just like you'll learn that Moses, what he understood when he attempted to deliver Israel in his own strength. Or that you remember when Peter came up against in the garden, the Roman soldiers. And what did he do? He reached out to try to cut him, right? And he hit his ear. He was just a bad aim. He wanted to take his head off, right? But he got his ear, right? Terrible aim. But that is what took place. And Jesus was like, no, put that away. And then, he, you know, we have to understand that we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do this battle with a human approach. And that holds true for every single one of us. One of the reasons so many of us are losing our battles is that we've turned to human resources and human methods and philosophies to do battle against someone who is not human. Paul didn't say, take up your sword. He said, take the sword of the Spirit and do battle with it. Even with the best intentions, you cannot compete with an enemy who's fighting in a capacity that he is at that you and I cannot reach. The only way to defeat the enemy is to walk in a life of victory according to God's prescription. So listen, when you choose a man-made method to go up against a spiritual battle, you nullify God's power in your fight. And this is why Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Leaving room, this word means letting go of your approach to spiritual battles and letting go of your need to respond in your emotions. God doesn't sanction our approach and our emotions are unreliable. 
rather that we are to take God's approach in the battle by approaching and aligning our emotions underneath his rule and putting on the full armor of God. How many of you know many times it's easy to do things in our own emotions? We want to fight a spiritual battle in our own emotions. Whether we are so angry, whether we are so mad, we many times resort to that first rather than going and using the sword of the Spirit. We realize it is the sword of the Spirit, and it's the only piece of offensive weaponry in the entire armor. Maybe it is all that we did need, and I do believe it's all that we do need because it's so critical. The Word of God tells us another critical aspect of the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the Word of God. We are told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in order to fully comprehend to what is referred to as the Word of God. I want to talk about three different words throughout Scripture that we see for God's Word. The first one is graphe. Can you say that with me? Graphe. When Scripture uses the Greek word graphe, it's talking about the Word of God, what is defined as the writings of God. Another way to put that is referring to the actual book of God, the Bible. For, for example, when you attend church and the preacher says, hey, turn to your Bibles to a certain passage, you turn there, you're holding in your hands, the pages are the graphe. You're holding 66 books of the Bible, which is composed of the canon of Scripture. Whether you have the graphe on your shelf, on your coffee table at home, beside your bed, in your kitchen, at work, or tucked under your arm, when you walk into church, what you have is a book. It's the Word of God that is written and in written form. It's the graphe. But when Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the term he uses for Word of God is not graphe. Unfortunately, what happens, though, in understanding this, is many people today think that Paul is referring to the word graphe inside of this. This is made evident by maybe the choices that we make day in and day out. They look to their Bibles like others look to a rabbit's foot. You know, like it is a good luck charm, assuming that it alone will bring about the power needed to live a life of victory in a fallen world like you know, but how many of you know placing your Bible in your car thinking it will somehow stop an accident from happening is just superstitious? How many of you know that? All right? Buying a big Bible. How many of you like big Bibles? All right, yeah? Putting on your coffee table and uh, thinking it will somehow ward off everything negative and evil from entering your family's life is just hocus pocus. How many of you are with me today? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the Bible isn't powerful or essential for all people. It is. But in order to accomplish its purpose, it needs to be used. And you need to do it more than just saying, hey, I have it on my bookshelf as a checklist. The graphe is the graphe regardless of whether you open it or not or even use it or not. Other, will, other people will use the Bible to back up what they have to say. You know, I swear on the Bible. You know, they look at it as that only. Another Greek term for the Word of God found in Scripture is the word logos. Can you say logos? Logos refers to the message of the book. The message of the book. It's the meaning of the words. 
When you read your Bible, when you attend a Bible study or hear a sermon that explains the meaning of the text being referenced, you're experiencing and interacting with the Logos. You started with graphe and have now progressed. You're not just going to let it sit there. You're reading it. You've now progressed into the Logos. Logos is a very powerful word. We read this word in John chapter 1 in verse 1. In the beginning was the what? Word. And the what? Word was with God. And the what? Word was God. Jesus is called the Logos in this passage because he was sent as God's messenger to present God to humanity and to embody his message to us. The graphe is the message written. The Logos is the message that is given. How many of you are with me now? You with me? So Logos is the understanding of the written record of stories of Scripture, of events and letters that we come in contact with in God's Word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, God reveals to us His nature and in the function of the Logos for the Word, that's Logos, of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Logos is more than just words on a paper. The Logos is alive. The Logos is active in us if we will allow it. The Logos is a force with energy behind it to be able to accomplish a specific goal in our lives. And so in order to accomplish this goal, the writer of Hebrews likens it to a sword that's sharper than any two-edged sword, meaning that it can go deeper and further in anything else in the physical realm. So the sword goes as deep as to pierce the soul and the spirit in the invisible realm. So when it reaches deep within you, the Logos goes about the job of dividing what makes up your soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, and what makes up the new spirit that God has put within you. That's how sharp this sword is. That's how sharp it is. This is necessary, so necessary for living a life of victory because more often than not, how many of you know that your soul gets in the way of your spirit? Probably many times a day that your soul gets in the way of your spirit, your personality, you know, like the way you were raised, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires often keep you from God's presence, from God's truth, power from functioning freely inside of you. And so we often point to outside forces beyond our struggles, but really, most of the time, our solution is right within us. It's right within us, the struggle that is taking place. And so, and so we understand that the sword of the Spirit is there to divide these things out with very, very much skill and purpose to cut away the bad and to leave the good. He's provided the Logos sharper than any two-edged sword to do the job of dividing the soul from the spirit and clarifying the truth within you. God uses the understanding of the message to cut through our thoughts today, your habits, your strongholds, in order to remove their influence over you so that the spirit of God can reign in you. In fact, 
The Logos is not only able to penetrate the invisible realm, divide soul and spirit. It also is able to discern and judge both the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. See, it doesn't simply just address the action, but it tends to the heart, which propel the action. That's how powerful it is. Like, it doesn't just say, hey, put that drink down. Like, uh, forgive that person or turn off what you should be watching. It goes deeper and focuses on the why behind the what. It's the why behind the what that it's trying to get to. That's what, the, that's what the word of truth does. It penetrates into the invisible realm. It goes far deeper than anything that we could do in the natural. It goes far deeper. It goes deeper so that if, if you can get the why rightly aligned underneath the truth and the message of God, you won't have to tell yourself to put down the drink, forgive the person, right, or turn off what you shouldn't be watching. It deals with the why. Why am I doing this? And so Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 goes on to tell us, and there is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Basically, whatever the Logos sees, God sees. And the word of God opens us up like an MRI, like an X-ray machine to show the intertruth of what is going on inside of us. He has provided the Logos, sharper than any two-edged sword in our life, to do the job of dividing the soul from the spirit to clarify the truth within you. Jesus told a story that represents us well in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men, he said, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not like the swindler, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I even fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of truth went in and penetrated the thoughts and the actions to divide the joint and the marrow, getting to what was going on, that Jesus, the Logos, looked past what could be seen and focused on the heart of the matter of both the Pharisee and the tax collector in order to judge and discern correctly. So as we meditate fully on God's truth and allow the Logos to penetrate it, it will reveal our heart. It reveals what's going on and to discern right from wrong. I don't know about you, but I, I have to read this precious book every single day. Because, listen, I'm able to be routed from the truth just like you. I'm able to allow the enemy many times to come in and put something in my mind that keeps me from living out the truth or really knowing the truth. So I have to get into this word every single day, and, and I love this word, and I find, I don't know about you, do you find after you get into the word you feel more free? 
Amen. Every time you get into the word, you have God's truth that is already anointed inside of your life that now you have a weapon to use. Now you have something that, that's sharper than any two-edged sword that is so powerful that, that I need, that I hunger for, that I want, that I desire. And it doesn't mean that I have to read four or five chapters a day, but, but for me, if I can get in the Word and I'm reading you know, a, a certain portion of Scripture that God has put on my heart, that I will go to it. Sometimes I'll just wake up and I'll just think, hey, I feel in the Word I need to go to this area today. Because maybe it's something that I'm going through a, or a thought that I'm struggling with that, that I'm going to go to that book in the Bible and that place there that God God can help me go through this day in the struggle and the situation of my heart to help me become victorious, even amongst the lies in an evil, wicked day that we live in. We have graphe, we have logos, and there's a third term the Bible uses for the word of God. When Paul tells us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, he's not telling us to take the graphe or the logos. Instead, he uses the Greek term rhema. Can you say rhema? Rhema. Rhema simply means utterance. It's the spoken word or what has been declared. Graphe is the written word. Logos is the message of the written word, Jesus himself. And rhema is the specific declaration concerning the message of the written word of God. You know, a person could have a Bible factory and publish thousands of Bibles every day, but never have the power of the sword of the Spirit in their life. Did you know that? A person can have great understanding of the message of Scripture, but not utilize the power of the sword against the enemy. See, the sword of the Spirit specifically refers to the rhema of God in this passage. The rhema of God is our offensive weapon which is able to plunge quickly into the enemy and to draw blood immediately. That if you want a quick death blow to the devourer, the accuser of the brother, and the Bible calls him Satan, that we need the rhema of God within us to do a mighty work so that we can know that we are overcomers. Amen? We need that in our life. You know, um, have you ever had somebody come up and say to you, man, you know what? I have a word of God for you. I have a word for you. And uh, after you hear the word, after you heard, you heard it, you think, what are you talking about, Willis? You ever, you ever thought that before? It kind of looks like this. We ever think we have a picture of that. We have a picture of that? We don't. We don't have any picture of that. Okay. We must be having trouble with slides. Is that true? Is it there? That's what it looks like. When someone at church gives you a word, that doesn't make any sense. That's what it looks like, right? How many of you are with me? Like, I have somebody come up to me and said, I got a word for you. I'm looking up like this. What? Did you pray about that word? Or did you just have a bad night's sleep? Or what went on with you, right? I mean, what did you eat last night that you had to come and bring me that word, right? And I'm not saying every word is bad, but sometimes we look at people like, this is crazy. Listen, the reason so many Christians are living defeated lives is they haven't graduated from graphe to logos to the rhema word of the Lord in their life. Bringing your Bibles to church is great, but it's not the same as using the sword of the Spirit. It's just a book until you open it and you read it and you hear God's Spirit teach you and speak to you through the words that you read. So every time you memorize a verse 
or learned what you found in the Bible, you've added another sword to your arsenal. Every time you, you learned a new verse and sharpened the blades on that sword, every time you learn a new way to apply a verse, you become quicker and more deadly in using that sword. This is why so much practice is needed in correctly handling the word of truth. That's Paul's admonition throughout the letters. Hey, know how to diligently go through the word of the Lord and correctly handle the word of truth. Why? Because he knows if we do, it's a death blow to the enemy. How many of you, when growing up, uh, this is going to take you back a little bit here, but how many of you ever did sword drills when you were a child? How many of you ever did sword drills? Oh, we do have some. That is amazing. I'm right there with you. So, so I attended a Christian school, and we did them all the time. And some of you are like, wow, you guys played with swords in your Christian school. No, these are not real. These, these are this. I'm talking about the Bible, not real metal swords, but a sword that is much more powerful than that. That is the sword of the Word of God. Now, a sword drill kind of goes like this when I was growing up in a Christian school. The speaker, the teacher, or you could call him the drill sergeant, if you call him that, would say, Bible's high, like this, right? Bible's high. That's what they would say in our class, whatever it may be, and we'd all raise our Bibles. And, and with our, the spines in our hand like this, so nobody could cheat by sticking their fingers in the pages of the Bible, okay? The speaker would say a scripture reference like John 3.16, and, and, and we would all answer back, John 3.16, right? Then after that, a pause, and he would say, or she would say, charge, and we would pull our Bibles out, and we would look through it, and the first one that got to John 3.16, we'd go through it, and we'd have him stand. You stand, and you read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, all of that. How many of you remember those days? I'm going to tell you what. We need to go back to sword drilling in the church and in our families in this day. Now, I know it's a lot easier now. We pull up our smartphones and dink, 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 and a couple were there. But still, we're finding the place in the Bible and understanding the word of truth, where things are at, where things are located in the Bible. This is so important in the day and age that we live. Adults, we need to start doing sword drills. We need to know the word of God. What do the books of the Bible have to say? The apostle Paul says, you need to know this so that you can have victory in the day of evil, right? We need to know key verses. We need to know key chapters in the Bible. We need to know why those are important so that we can confront false teachings and false ideas. So I think as adults, we should maybe do drill of sorts. We need to sit around and drill each other. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be fun, wouldn't it? Like Bible's high and then say the scripture verse. I mean, this would be fun. Some of you are like, yeah, we, we, we're not going to do it right now. We're not going to do it today. But we, we're not going to do it. But, but we're gonna, we need to know the word of the Lord. We need to know the word of the Lord. Well, why? Well, look, can I give you a few scenarios today? Why? If we were to say, okay, a Jehovah's Witness has just knocked on your door. And has, they've told you that Jesus was just a small G God. He was not actually God himself. Where would you turn in scripture? Charge. Where would you go? John chapter 1, what we just read. Mark chapter 2. Luke chapter 18. 
or a coworker has, has been going through some troubling times in, in her life and she walks up to you someday and says, you're a Christian, right? What, what must I do to get to heaven? What would you tell her? Which scripture verses would you show her? Do, do we know John 3.16? That's a great one. John 5.24, 1 John chapter 5. There's areas that we could go to rather than relying on our own finite human understanding that we go to the word of the Lord and we're able to pull it out and say, well, this is what scripture says. This is the truth. This is the eternal truth that God has to say about how you can get to heaven. What if your neighbor says, hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't done too many bad things. God will let me into heaven. What would you tell them? Can you think of a few verses like Matthew chapter 5, James chapter 2 in verse 10? And what if you sin as we all do? As we talked about previously, Satan comes in and starts to whisper in your ear that you aren't saved or God doesn't love you anymore. Do you remember the verses and the chapters of Romans chapter 8, John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 10 that you can go to to align your thinking that the enemy is trying to warp so that you can be able to stand in the evil day? Church, we need to know this word. I talk to a lot of believers that are not in the word of God. It saddens my heart as a pastor because I realize, yeah, well, you know, we shouldn't make a condemning. No, you're right. Because the Bible says the word of the Lord is sweeter than the honeycomb. When you realize that, you will want to eat it. You will understand that you need to partake of it because it's life-giving. It's something that can help you in the day of battle. In the day of battle, do you know the word of the Lord that is far greater than any earthly weapon? We should take our Bible studies and our notes, and we should take the notes on Sunday mornings, and we should use them in spiritual warfare against the enemy. The spirit-empowered word of God must be wielded when all hell is breaking loose in your life. You need a specific word of God for you in that situation. You need to hear from God, and you need to take the straight word of God straight into the heart of the enemy and Satan and his demons and be able to see the victory that God has promised you and me. It's not my word, but it's his word that will not return void. My word will return void. His, his will never return void. Amen? See, you need the word of the Lord at a particular situation in your life. Every person in this room today, you need a particular word over your situation because every one of us are going through something different in this room. But all of us are going through something. You and I need the word of the Lord. Like David said to Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 45, in that day of battle, in that evil moment when the Philistine came against not only David, he was coming against God. He was mocking God. He was mocking God. Let me tell you something, church. What you're seeing on the national stage in the world we live in is a mockery of God. And if the church only responds with our own voice, I'm going to tell you something. We're in trouble. We need the word of the Lord. We need a rhema word in these days. The church needs a rhema word of God in this moment, in our family 
families, in our communities, because our human wisdom cannot handle what the enemy is trying to bring against the church and against the body of Christ in these days. But you see, David spoke up, says, you came at me with a sword in the spear, in the javelin, by I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied today. And giant, you're about ready to go down because God's word says it. I'm not banking on myself, but I'm banking on the word of the Lord. Amen. Most of us have had a reign of experience in the word of God, but didn't even realize it. What it was. Have you ever um, read some passage of scripture so many times over? You think, I could never learn another thing about that because I've heard so many messages. I've read it so many times. And then one day, as you turn to that particular familiar passage, it's like God has marked it with a yellow highlighter to you. One word, one verse, it leaps off the page and speaks directly to your situation that you're facing. This is what it is a word God speaks to you out of his written word. God's spoken word has power within you to accomplish God's desires. God says, let there be light, and there was light. That's why all Satan knows that he has to do is twist God's word, and it will become a dull sword in our life, unable to carry out its purpose. And Satan asked Adam and Eve, did God really say that? Twist. He knew if he could mix up the word, he would reduce its power to defeat him. Satan loves it when we say like, things like this. Well, I, I think, well, in my opinion, or my friends say, because he knows there's no power in what we think or feel. He'll leave you alone. He'll leave you up to your own understanding. He's not afraid of that. When we collect all of our information from TV, talk shows, radio, phone calls, and emails or text messages, the enemy is not afraid a bit about that. But soon as you start saying, God says, and you, in that moment, you start jabbing in the sword of the Spirit. God says this. You're jabbing in the death blow so that you are victorious. Satan is unable to stand against the powerful force of the utterance of God. Rhema is a quick, powerful thrust. It's a specific word in a specific scenario. So this is it. It's the job of the Spirit to give you your word from His word. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to give you your word from His word. And yes, we don't have this on us all the time. That's why He says in the word, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not, what? Sin against thee. You have to hide the word in your heart. You have to hide the word. Why? So that it's in there for the right moment, so it's ready to come out, to be able to have a thrust and a jab at just the right moment to take the enemy. So it's out. So it's the job of the Spirit to give you your word. Rhema is a word uttered to you about your dilemma. There's a word for you today in your dilemma. I'm telling you right now in this room, there's a word for you in the situation that you are going through today. No matter what it is, there's a word for you today that the Spirit of God wants to give to you. Matter of fact, we see this Matthew 4, 4. Satan tempted Jesus at his weakest point of hunger, and he tried to capitalize on Christ's legitimate need for food. And Jesus responded by saying in Matthew 4 and verse 4, It is written. 
man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What Jesus did do is just as important as what he didn't do. By saying it is written and using the full force of the word of God, Jesus didn't enter into a long debate. Let me tell you something. You and I are not called to have long dialogues or debates with Satan. Jesus never did, thus we shouldn't. There was a quick jab in that because Jesus knew the word was powerful. And it dealt a death blow to the enemy. We shouldn't be dialoguing with Satan about any subject. What he did was he simply followed up what God had already said. Even Jesus didn't come at Satan based on his thoughts, but he overcame him with the word of God. He wielded it. And what happened? Satan left. Oh, yeah, that was a battle there. If you ask me, why won't the devil leave me alone? Why is he always up in my face? My answer is the question, are you using the word of God to make him leave you alone? Satan can hang out with you all day long. If you'll never read the word or understand the word and who Jesus is is the Logos, which will in turn help you hear and use the rhema that God has given to you in your specific situation. The sword of the spirit is your offensive weapon to advance against the enemy and the trials and the battles that he's brought up against you. It is time to take back the land. It's time to take back and see restored in your life what has been lost to the deceptive strategies of Satan. That's what we've been talking about in this series. That's what we've been saying. And here's what the enemy knows about you. If you get anything, and those that already walked out the door, I'm sorry, you're going to have to listen to another time, you're going to miss out. But listen, here's what it is. Here's what the enemy knows about you. You are a high-valued target. Every believer in this room, you are a high-valued target. Every single moment of every single day, of every single second, you and I are high-valued targets. There is a bounty on your head. Every single day, you are on hell's most wanted list. This is a battle, church. Hell is reaching for you, but I'm also going to tell you today, heaven is reaching for you today as well, and there is victory through the power in the name of Jesus and through the rhema word that God wants to give to you today in your dilemma, in your scenario, in your situation, and in your struggle, and in your sickness, that God is here to set you free because the rhema word of the Lord needs to be released by the people of God. Amen? You're a high-valued target. And the enemy knows how valued you are. The path to beat him is to be battle ready in these days. So take up your position and see the deliverance of our God. When you leave today, you're going to receive this, the warrior's prayer. We're giving this to you to take. Put it on your mirror, put it in your car, put it in your Bible. I just want to encourage you. This is a prayer that I want to read. As you're standing to your feet today, I want to read this, and we are going to worship the Lord, but I am going to read this as a prayer today and believe that God is going to use this and will use it in your life every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the belt of truth. May I stand firm in the truth of your word so 
I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. May it guard my heart from evil so I will remain pure and holy, protected under the blood of Jesus Christ. May I put on the shoes of peace and may I stand firm in the good news of the gospel so your peace will shine through me and be a light to all I encounter. I take the shield of faith May I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, deceit, so I will not be vulnerable to spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May I keep my mind focused on you so Satan will not have a stronghold on my thoughts. I take the sword of the Spirit. May the two-edged sword of your word be ready in my hand so I can expose the tempting words of Satan by faith. Your warrior has put on the whole armor of God. I am prepared to live this day in spiritual victory. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Come on, can you give Jesus a great big hand clap for the armor? Come on, give him a shout today. Come on, give him a shout today. Come on, let's worship the Lord.